thankful for our worship team here. Thank you for the kind introduction. Um, my name is Jeremy Hall. I'm the associate pastor here. And well, one of them, we've, there's a bunch of us floating around. But uh, thank you for saying some kind things. I need to say some kind things too. There's been, uh, you might have noticed a few of them, but for every technical hiccup you might have seen today, there's like a hundred that you've missed because our team is doing such a good job at a lot of unpredictable stuff this morning. And that's true all over the place. We have such amazing volunteers. I, I saw three people building this minutes ago. Is this motion activated? Oh, you turned it off. I was hoping maybe I could cue my own amen. <laughs> nah, leave it off. If, it, if you can remotely cue it, though, and people think it's the Holy Spirit, that'd be cool. So, you know, the pyrotechnics are ready. Okay, cool. So, like, when you see the fireworks, just cue the line. It'll be perfect. <laughs> so, Question. Have you ever experimented in living a different way? Have you ever shaken up your life just for a little while? A, a retreat, a mission trip, maybe um, a summer camp. Some of those have left deep impressions on us. Um, a really intense festival, maybe a prolonged protest, a, a different way of being in community just for a little while. A lot of times, these sorts of experiences become the site of moments of major change or growth in our lives. There's a term uh, from the early 90s that came together around this idea of the transformative power of living for a time with abandon. Ooh, she already got it. Nice. The, the term is temporary autonomous zone. Um, I'm going to refer to it as a TAS because that has way too many letters. So a Taz. Uh, there's a group of artists online called Beautiful Trouble. That's a good name. I wish I'd come up with it. And they define Taz like this. A temporary autonomous zone is a liberated area of land, time, or imagination where new ways of being human together, it's got to be collective, it's got to be about community, new ways of being human together can be explored and experimented with, locating itself in the cracks the fault lines in the global grid of control and alienation, the way the system wants us to be against each other. A Taz is an eruption of free culture where life can be experienced at maximum intensity, end quote. Uh, Tazes are moments of revolution where everything is on the table. There are no taboos and no sacred cows. Uh, there's these places are for experimentation. They're laboratories of human community. Uh, some examples of places like these are things, and there, there's a whole swatch of things that can fit into this uh, category of TAS, like the Anarcho-Capitalist Conference in Acapulco, Mexico, called Enarcapoco. I've always wanted to say that word into a microphone, Enarcapoco. Uh, Occupy Wall Street, the uh, left-leaning economic political movement uh, from earlier this decade was a TAS. Uh, communities like the Koinonia Farm here in Georgia uh, fit. Uh, the Christian movement called the New Monastics in Portland uh, with their housing communities fit into this idea. They can be unified around lack, like the Burning Man Festival out west, or around shared love and commitment, like the Wild Goose Christian Festival in North Carolina. 
They can be small scale, too. All of those were big, but they can be small, like a church retreat where you study and experiment with different kinds of prayer, or the CFAT event in Alabama. Has anyone in here been uh, to CFAT? Some of our youth have been on this. I think Ernie used to lead some kids on this. Uh, the CFAT event in Alabama, where some of our students have been, and they experiment in being immersed in the experience of third world poverty. But so all of those are diverse in their scope, but they all have the same goal, and that goal is transformation. So you go on one of these, you live a different way, and then you leave. And the hope is that the intensity of the experience and the experiments will change you in some way, that you'll return to your ordinary life different than when you left. Now let's contrast that with a vacation. Completely different idea here. Uh, and you know this one, when you go somewhere with your friends or family and you do something just for the sake of doing it. It's about relaxation. It's about enjoyment. It's about refreshment. It's about recreation and restoration. There's whole industries based around our need for vacation to slow down and relax. Americans spend about $100 billion a year on summer vacations alone. Uh, I did some deep research on the Googles and uh, found that two out of every five of us take at least one yearly vacation and that about 60% of employers in America offer some sort of built-in paid vacation as a benefit for their employees. Now, a vacation can look a lot like a Taz. You go somewhere abnormal, you do abnormal things, you try new foods, new activities, you keep a different schedule, you rearrange your priorities for a little while. But the purpose of a vacation is almost the opposite as the purpose of a Taz. A Taz wants you to change. Vacation wants you to stay the same. You take a vacation to keep from being crushed by the mundane. Uh, businesses give people vacation time so that they can handle being in the same job for a long time. We crave vacations because they refresh us and help us to keep on keeping on. The point of the vacation is to vent the pressure of normal life so that you can remain in it. And that's good. We need that. So are y'all with me? Taz, vacation, you can hold these ideas. You got them? I see nodding heads. I'll keep going. Uh, with these concepts in our heads, let's take a look at today's passage from the Gospel of John. Fantastic. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete. Yes, that word's weird on purpose. To help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's getting pretty mysterious there. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm jumping to verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My Father will love them, and I will come to them, and we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Okay, that's a good passage. I like that one. So that's a relatively familiar passage too. Jesus talks a little about the Trinity. He cryptically talks about his coming execution. And this is followed by some dangerously clear words on obedience and the promise of the paraclete. Now, there are a million sermons to preach on this one and on each of these. But I want to explore that last one with you. Jesus promises not to leave the disciples alone. He tells them that their love and obedience for him, that they will forever be connected to him through that. And each of them to each other and to God. But Jesus knows that the life he's called them to will not be easy. It will require discipline, evolution, change, sympathy, empathy, radical love, and inhuman endurance. So he promises that God will be with them in a new way, a way that only a few in history had previously experienced. He says, I'm sending you a... Okay, so this is where the language gets a bit tricky, and so I've left it in the Greek. He uses the word paraclete, speaking about the Holy Spirit. A guy says, I'm sending you a paraclete. And there's a few ways to translate this word. It's not one of these simple one-to-one choices. When you translate, you have to make a decision about how you'll render this word. Two of the most common are helper and comforter. And I'm under the impression that Jesus knows how words work and that when the Holy Spirit is involved in the writing of the Gospels, that it knew what it was doing as well. So I want to propose that the ambiguity in the word is intentional and that both are true and accurate descriptions of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is simultaneously a helper and a comforter. So here I want to bring back the idea of the Taz and the vacation as analogies for these two, handles for how the Spirit likes to show up in our lives. Now, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, things get weird, and there's no way to limit uh, what the Spirit can do or what the Spirit's up to, but these are some of the ways that we tend to see the Spirit. So first, the Taz. The Taz, as we said, is an invitation to experiment, to try new ways of being in the world, to come and see and be changed. A Taz calls us to question everything that we think we know, to hold our worldview confidently in open hands rather than fearfully in clenched fists. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to inspire the believer, to change us, to prod and goad us forward towards greater incarnations of the kingdom, towards greater justice, and towards greater love. The Holy Spirit leads us into new places. The Spirit is wild and creative and unrelenting. It invites us to hold our worldview courageously, like the Taz, with open hands rather than fearfully in clenched fists, thankful for what God has done and ready to be part of what God might be doing next. The Spirit helps us grow and change, and it drives us deeper into the kingdom of God. Examples. In Acts 9, 
The Spirit sends the disciple Philip to encounter a man. Give me that picture. Yeah, I got pictures. The Spirit sends Philip to encounter a man who we learn is an Ethiopian eunuch. The man is reading the Bible, and Philip shares the gospel with him, and, in, and it, it works. <laughs> the gospel is beautiful and compelling. And in verse 36, the man says, Look, here is some water. What can keep me from being baptized? Well, if you're Philip, an observant Jew and a serious student of Scripture, the answer to the question, what can keep me from being baptized, is, well, a lot. It's kind of an uncomfortable question to ask here. The man is not Jewish, so he's not entitled to the salvation offered by a Jewish Messiah. In fact, he's Ethiopian, which is a good Bible way of saying he's completely different from Philip. He, he looks different. He speaks different. He acts nothing like Philip. He is completely other, but not just in race and religion, but in a sense, in gender as well. The Judaism of the Old Testament is built around order and dichotomy. It's about chaos versus order, life and death, clean and unclean, Jew and Gentile, and highlight here the dichotomy between male and female. In Philip's understanding, God created the world very clearly and very ordered. And the eunuch lays in this nebulous state somewhere out there in the confusing spaces in between. There are even specific verses in how their failure to fit into the natural order separates them from God. They occur in Isaiah and Deuteronomy. And they're really clear. There are very good reasons for Philip not to baptize this man. But it's only two verses later that the text says then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And the Spirit affirms the decision immediately with a miracle. How about last week's sermon text from Acts 11, when Peter is rebuked in a dream for thinking that the old boundaries of clean and unclean were still standing in the wake of resurrection. From verse 9 of chapter 11, the voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And immediately, Peter is offered the opportunity to share the gospel with Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit affirms this decision, verses 7, 15 to 17. As I began to speak, says Peter, the Holy Spirit came on them as it had on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? How about today's passage uh, that Dave read earlier from Acts? The Holy Spirit very clearly sends Paul, the ultimate student of the law. He talks about himself saying, in every way, a Pharisee. It means he really knows his stuff. Sends him to Philippi, where when he seeks out the local Jewish leaders, finds only women by a river. Paul preaches to them, and a woman named Lydia believes. She invites Paul to come home with her, which must have made Paul very uncomfortable because he says she had to convince him. Maybe he was uncomfortable because she didn't fit with how he thought the godly woman should behave. She's industrious. She owns her own company. She's the head of her household and leads a group of Yahweh worshipers. But he goes with her 
She introduces her household to Jesus. They are all baptized, and she becomes the first pastor of the church in Philippi. Maybe shocking encounters like this one are what lead Paul to be able to say things like this. I'm jumping to Galatians 3. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit creates these temporary autonomous zones around us. It shows up and declares the will of God and the love of God to be wild and inexhausted. It invites us to follow Jesus into new kingdom territory. So let's shift. We've done Taz. What about vacation? Let's see if that works too. Vacation, the time of relaxation, music stands. <laughs> the time of relaxation and restoration, recreation, reinvigoration. Vacation is a sustaining event. The vacation is, a meant, is meant to allow you to rest so that you can stay the course. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that of comforter. The Spirit encourages and unites us, holds us together. Romans 8 says that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us and is our advocate. Examples. How about Paul and Silas uh, later in this same chapter, uh, jailed in Acts after upsetting a rich local by liberating a worker from an oppressive and manipulative situation. Paul and Silas are imprisoned. That's what the system does when you act that way. The Spirit gives them joy and the courage to sing songs of praise to God in their chains and eventually liberates them from their bonds by means of a supernatural earthquake. The event even leads to the salvation of their guard and the strengthening of the local church. Later in that same chapter, Paul and the rest of the church leaders in Judea are unified after a period of deep distrust. Their unity is blessed by the Holy Spirit. And the early church is given a period of rest. Verse 33 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Their numbers increased. How about Paul writing the book of Philippians from prison? He pens a beautifully compelling case for trusting in Jesus and living as communities of joy while chained. He talks about his chains in the writing of the book. While chained in a Roman prison cell, waiting what is almost certainly his execution. He says that even his imprisonment is part of the gospel story and that by trusting in the Spirit, even his chains become means to preach the gospel. And sitting in this cell awaiting his fate, he is comforted by the Holy Spirit and writes in the first chapter of Philippians, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Spirit brings Paul courage, confidence, joy, and in it all, purpose and ministry. 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is helper. It helps us to grow, both as individuals and as a community. What does that look like? It looks like being allowed to hold your beliefs open-handedly, not to be so rigid as to be afraid of change, not to be scared to change your mind, to let God work you over, to, to truly be clay in the potter's hands. Seek the help of the Spirit. It's offered to you. If you're feeling complacent, if you haven't felt convicted in a while, ask the Spirit to show you where you need to grow, what you need to let go of, and where you need to take a stand. Invite the Spirit into your inner life. If something with the way that you're living, if something in the way that you're living out your faith doesn't seem right, interrogate it. Don't be afraid of it. If it seems false, ask why. If your faith feels stale, ask the Spirit to shake you up. If it seems fake, ask the Spirit to ignite it. Ask the hard questions of your faith, especially the ones that you don't want the answers to. Interrogate the things that are holding you back. Change your spiritual routine. Seek the Spirit's leading and go on an adventure. Join a class. Learn a new discipline. Engage in a new ministry. Plug in in a new way in your church. Go on some sort of Christian task with the Spirit. The Spirit is also comforter. If you're depleted, worn out, burnt out, worked up, uptight, or exhausted, encounter the Spirit as comforter. Need peace? Maybe you're trusting in yourself too much. Maybe it's time to let God do some of that work. Maybe you're being called into a season of refreshment. You don't always have to be working. Maybe you need to find a therapist or a doctor. Those are gifts from God, too. Maybe you need to give more of yourself towards your community or cultivate a practice of mindfulness and prayer. Ask the Spirit to give you the wisdom and the patience and the courage to rest. Accept the gift of not always have to be doing and give that gift to each other. God has revealed God's self in the Spirit as helper and comforter because sometimes you are supposed to work and sometimes you're supposed to rest. Sometimes you're supposed to stay the course and sometimes you're supposed to change. Help and comfort. The Spirit offers both to you today. As one of your pastors, my prayer for you and for us, for all of us as a community, is that we would have the courage to welcome, affirm, and embrace the experience of the full measure of what the Spirit offers us. That we would be brave enough to accept that guidance, that help, and that comfort and rest. Amen. In just a moment, we transition into a time of response. And the way that works here is we think that the Spirit is active. We think that this church happens to be connected to the God of the universe uh, through Jesus and is soaked in the work of the Spirit. And maybe that Spirit touched your day. Maybe uh, you heard Jesus today. Maybe you encountered God in a new way in a Sunday school class or in a hallway or over a cup of coffee in the music that we listened to or the music we shared in together uh, in worship. Maybe you found God in prayer. 
Maybe you found God in a smile or a hug or in a sermon. We open space for you to respond. Either quietly where you are, you can sing with the, the praise team, you can come forward, and maybe you need to make, take action, and you need to come down to the front and pray publicly that you can embrace that rest, that you are ready for whatever the Spirit's calling you to, that you need that helper and you need that comforter. And if you come down here and pray, someone else will move and pray with you. This is also a time for you to respond to the invitation of Jesus. If you want to say yes to the story that Jesus is telling, this is as good a time as any to come forward and let us talk with you, let someone pray with you. It's a pretty good place to be. Let me pray for us. God of every good gift, we thank you for the gift of rest. We thank you for the gift of action. We ask that you would make us a people who are not scared of just about anything, but that we are brave because we are yours. We ask that you'd give us the courage to know and to face the places where we need to move and to know and face the places where we need to stay. We ask that you would give us the ability to embrace peace and rest and community that we would not just be people who have to do, but that we could be people that can learn how to be as well. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.